Christchurch, New Malden, 1st of November 2020. Katie Loftman speaking on A Fresh Take on the Woman at the Well. It's great that some of us are able to be back in church worshipping together. On our first day back at the beginning of September, Stephen challenged us to read a gospel all the way through over that month. I wonder how many of us did that. I started reading John's Gospel and I found it an interesting experience. Reading it from the beginning, in order, I started to see some of the passages in a different light. Different from what we see when we read individual stories or short readings. Reading them as one narrative flow, I saw them more in the context of each other. One of the things that got me thinking was the account of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman by a well. And I noticed for the first time what leads up to it. It comes at the beginning of the fourth chapter of John, just after a conversation with John the Baptist. In the second half of chapter 3, John the Baptist is baptising people. As someone says, aren't you annoyed that people are flocking to Jesus instead of coming to you now? And John gives a strange answer. He says, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. He must become greater. I must become less. John describes himself as the best man, preparing the way for the bridegroom. And that bridegroom is Jesus, and the bride belongs to him. That's why Jesus has people coming to him, rather than still going to John. Lots of places in the Old Testament describe God's people as a bride, and sadly sometimes an unfaithful bride who can't help running after other gods. But God's love is constant, and he's always waiting to take his people back into a mutual, loving relationship, united together faithfully forever, like a perfect marriage. And we know that we, as God's people, are part of that. So when Jesus was on earth, that's what he was calling people to. Straight after that comment by John the Baptist, at the start of chapter 4, Jesus is resting by a well when a Samaritan woman comes along and they have a conversation about a number of things, about water, not surprisingly because they're by a well, but oddly about husbands, about worship and also their ancestor Jacob. Now according to John's Gospel this was not just any old well, it was called Jacob's well. In fact Jacob is mentioned three times in eight verses. What was John trying to tell us? Why was he making such a point about Jacob? I decided to investigate this and that's when I started to see the account of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman in a new light. Jacob was the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, famously the father of twelve sons, and therefore the ancestor of both the Jews and the Samaritans. The first mention of him is in verse 5, John sets the scene by pointing out that the place where they're standing is the plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. What plot of land was that then? Right at the end of Jacob's life, at the end of Genesis 48, Jacob gives Joseph a ridge of land that he says he took from the Amorites with his sword and his bow. Joseph had spent most of his life in Egypt, separated from his family, 
and away from the family land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. Joseph was eventually reunited and reconciled with his family when his brothers came looking for food in the famine, and Joseph brought them and Jacob to live with him in Egypt. This gift of land reunites Joseph with a place in the promised land for him and his descendants. And it's a rather special piece of land too. Jacob acquired it decades before, just after he was reconciled with his brother Esau, returning home after not being on speaking terms for 20 years. So John, in his Gospel account, explicitly sets it in a place that was the site of two important reconciliations in Israel's history. When God's chosen family was not only reunited, but putting down roots in the land promised to Abraham. So John puts those things in our mind as he goes on to tell us about Jesus' encounter there. Speaking of Jacob, was there a special incident about Jacob and a well? Well, yes. It was at a well that Jacob first met his wife-to-be, Rachel, as we heard in our reading from Genesis 29. Jacob had gone to that area specifically to meet someone to marry from his uncle Laban's family and he made a beeline for the well. It wasn't long before he got the information that if he just waited there, the woman he was looking for would come along. And she did, his beautiful cousin Rachel. Jacob single-handedly rolled the stone away from the opening of the well and gave water to all her sheep. Rachel told her dad and he took Jacob home to stay with them. As we know, he went on to marry Rachel, as well as her older sister Leah, and he lived there, working for their dad, Laban. But Jacob wasn't the only man to meet his future wife at a well. A similar thing happened to his dad, Isaac, a generation before, in Genesis 24. Isaac wasn't married, so Abraham, his dad, dispatched his servant on a long journey with ten camels to Nahor, where Abraham's relations lived. Outside the town, he stopped by a well and waited for the women of the town to come out to draw water. Before long, who should come along but the beautiful Rebecca, with a water jar on her shoulder? He asked her for a drink, and she not only gave him some water to drink, but watered all his camels too. A massive job. That was the sign that she was the one, as she travelled back with him and married Isaac. Let's go forward in time some four or five hundred years and we see another young man waiting by a well. It's Moses in Exodus chapter 2. He's just killed an Egyptian slave driver and he's on the run. He sits down by a well in Midian and there he meets seven sisters come to get water for the family flock. Moses rescues them from some shepherds who were bullying them and fills all the troughs for the sheep. They take him home to meet Dad, and he ends up marrying the oldest one, Zipporah. Like Jacob, he lives with them and works for his father-in-law for many years. So to any Jew who knows their Bible, John's emphasis on Jacob in the context of a well would immediately call these stories to mind. This is a massive reference to marriage. Jesus is acting like Jacob was when he was looking for a wife. John has primed us to look out for this in the previous chapters, 
Chapter 2 shows us the wedding at Cana and Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. Providing wine for the guests, which is really the bridegroom's job. And then in chapter 3, John the Baptist's explicit statement that Jesus is the bridegroom. And hidden at the end of chapter 1, there's another reference to Jacob. Jesus is calling his first disciples, and one of them is Nathanael. Chapter 1, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Angels ascending and descending on a bridge between earth and heaven? That was Jacob's dream. But instead of a staircase, Jesus is telling Nathanael that he himself is the bridge between earth and heaven, joining together the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, so the two become one. Which is what God's kingdom is, heaven and earth come together. So when John goes on to talk about the joining together of two people in marriage, and then there's Jesus' discussion with the Samaritan woman, he's continuing the theme of joining together, becoming one, of Jesus' work of bringing unity. This unity is not just about living together, it's about worshipping together. The woman at the well recognises that as a Samaritan, her worship is unorthodox and not acceptable to the Jewish authorities, but her discussion with Jesus about Jacob refers back to a time before Jews and Samaritans became separated, the time of their common ancestor. And Jesus says the time will come again when there is no separation. All people will worship God in spirit and in truth together. Not on this mountain or that mountain, and dare I say it, not in this church denomination or that denomination, and not even in separate religions. The whole world will worship God because they see his glory clear as day. Jesus came to bring unity. So whenever we remember what we have in common rather than what divides us, and whenever we work together with those who see God differently from us, we're working towards unity and continuing Jesus' work. Jesus enables us to be united with each other in our worship of him, because each of us is united to him in worship. If Jesus is portrayed as a bridegroom, what kind of bride is the Samaritan woman? Not a very eligible one, I'd say. She's half Gentile, being a Samaritan. She's unfaithful, both in marriage and in religion. And she's a social outcast. She's a bit of a lost sheep, really. And yet here's Jesus reaching out to her, just as he reaches out to us, because no one is too lost for God. That Samaritan woman at the well represents the Bride of Christ. In other words, God's people. 
but she's not a Jew. Right at the start of his ministry, Jesus is already broadening out the definition to include people like us, Gentiles, the church, imperfect and unfaithful as we are. Like Jacob and the others before him, Jesus is waiting by a well to fall in love, to reach out in love to somebody the rest of society finds difficult to love. The Samaritan woman is not a faithful person. Jesus points out that she's had five husbands and is now living with someone, and yet Jesus symbolically wants to marry her, to bring her into his family. The passage doesn't tell us whether the Samaritan woman had any children, but this excessive number of husbands reminded me of someone else. No, not Henry VIII. There's a story in Matthew 22 when some Sadducees set Jesus a little test. They say, supposing there was a married man who died without having any children, leaving his wife widowed. His brother, according to custom, would marry the widow. But supposing he died without having any children, and so the third brother married the same widow, and so on through seven brothers, whose wife would she be come the resurrection? Jesus replied that in the world to come there is no marriage or giving in marriage. How come? Well, if Jesus is the bridegroom of the church and of all of his people, then marriage becomes redundant in God's kingdom. Just as we won't need a temple to meet with God because we'll be right there with him, so we won't need a partner because we'll be one with Jesus. So the fact that the Samaritan woman has had lots of husbands links her with that hypothetical widow in the Sadducee story and shows up even more her need for fulfilment in Jesus. At the same time, it frees her up from being any man's property, which women were in those days as Jesus draws her into the security of his household, and she can belong solely to Jesus. So by portraying Jesus as a bridegroom, John is showing that Jesus came to bring unity, just as a wedding brings unity between the husband and wife, unity between heaven and earth, between God and his people, and between all his people and each other. Finally, I wonder if you noticed another interesting parallel in our Old Testament reading with Jesus. Genesis 29 says the well was covered by a large stone. Jacob has to roll the stone away from the mouth of the well to get to the water. It's the same phrase that's used by Matthew, Mark and Luke in their account of the resurrection. A large stone was rolled over the entrance to Jesus' tomb but on the day of resurrection, an angel rolled the stone away. Jacob rolled away the stone covering the well to give life-giving water to Rachel's sheep. An angel rolls away the stone covering the tomb so Jesus can give life to anyone who drinks his living water. And that will be the fulfilment of Jesus' promises to the Samaritan woman about living water. The woman's comment about Jacob's well points us back to the hopeful young Jacob and we start to think of Jesus as a potential bridegroom. And that historical incident in turn points us forward to Jesus' resurrection. We're all called to draw on Jesus' living water and fall in love with Jesus who's waiting at the well for each one of us.
waiting to welcome us into his family, united in spirit and in truth forever. The perfect marriage. <laughs>